But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Thank you. Amen. Praise God. So, um, again, those are uh, the words of Jesus, of course, is why they're there in red. Amen. But just real quick, just a few highlights from last week in case you weren't here or you didn't get to watch or just to, to refresh. I'm not going to take a lot of time, but... Uh, just to re remind us that the story of the great flood and the story of Noah uh, is important uh, because uh, it's been told as long as there has been memory of the human race. It's one of the uh, stories that's been told in different countries and different cultures, amen, the story of the great flood, uh, the great deluge, amen. So uh, the story is important, amen, and this is why that uh, one of the reasons why that we're looking at this, and it's an important uh, story, and I'll, I'll just tell you that as we move into the study, as I said last week, kind of uh, uh, we kind of set some uh, foreground. I have a purpose, and I have a reason for everything that I'm bringing out, uh, especially as we start each week uh, and we move into uh, the study further. We're going to get into the meat of things, but uh, uh, there's a reason that. Uh, we, we give you some of the facts and we give you some of the uh, history and we talk about uh, some of the things that aren't necessarily uh, from the actual scripture at that time uh, because we're kind of setting the stage for you to get an understanding and to take us into the whys and the hows and the what fors uh, as we get into uh, actually what happened in the days of Noah. So I appreciate you bearing with me on that as you did last week. And so one of those things that we talked about last week was the scientific, uh, uh, amen, name entropy, amen, realizing that it's easier to break an ordered pattern than it is to create one, right? You remember uh, you remember the stones and someone put them back in order and watched me. Just because I can, I know, right? So... You know, we had them in a pattern last week, and we began to shake up the stones and realizing that no matter how much we shook them, that they're never going to go back into that pattern or really any specific pattern. We, If we, if we said we could just decide on any pattern, we'll just take anything, even if it doesn't have to be the one that it began with, but it's, it's not going to go back into a specific pattern uh, because that's just... Uh, how things work, amen? It's easier to break up an order pattern than it is to create one. God designed that very thing into the world, okay? So it's not just something that is a scientific fact. The reason that it's scientific is because God created it and designed it into the world. So that's how it was discovered uh, or real, the realization of it as science. So when God created the world, the Bible says it was chaos and turmoil, remember? We talked about, amen, uh, that in the scripture in Genesis chapter 1. It was chaos and it was turmoil. And we just mentioned and talked about how that is God's default position. God's default position is chaos. It's, it's, that's the default position. And so uh, we, we saw how things easily slip back into disorder. 
that um, if we don't inject energy, if we don't put effort into uh, uh, the system, then things begin to deteriorate. What is the system? Okay, again, uh, that that uh, uh, the, the default position that God has is chaos. And so if we do not uh, put any kind of effort or any kind of energy or do anything and to put into the system, then things are going to just begin to deteriorate. Um, and it does that naturally. You don't have to do anything for it to become chaos, okay? But God brings order out of chaos. This is what he did when he created the world, uh, when he began to create things, okay, in the earth. It was, uh, it was the darkness without form and void. And uh, so it was chaos and turmoil, and God made order out of the chaos. And so we don't have to do anything uh, to cause chaos, okay? It'll come by itself if we do not push it back. If we don't do anything to push back the chaos, then it is going to come all by itself. So uh, if we apply that spiritually, if you don't pray, if you don't fast, if you don't read the word, if you don't have a life of worship, if you don't have a fellowship with the Lord, if you don't uh, uh, come to the house of God, if you don't praise and all of the things that God gives us, then hell is going to advance on you and you will not have to do anything uh, to make it happen because it's just going to happen. So, um, uh, and we talked about how into your marriage and the things like that. If you don't put any effort into it, I mean, knows that your marriage is going to eventually fall apart because it just does not stay in order. So before the flood began, then we see that the world reverted back to that state of chaos. And so this is exactly why, amen, that it had to be banished before the flood could quit. Before the flood could stop, then all of the chaos had to be banished. And so the world now reverted back to that, at that time, back to that state of that default position of chaos. And so it had to be banished. That chaos had to be done away with. This is why the storm lasted 40 days and nights before the deep opened up. And then the flood began. Now, you know, I'm not going to go into that tonight, but when you really look at the scripture, the flood lasted over 150 days. It wasn't just 40 days and 40 nights. It rained 40 days and 40 nights, but the flood itself lasted longer. The deep opened up. Remember what the deep was? It was chaos. So the deep opened up and began to flood the earth. Amen. I just kind of see the, the, the 40 days and 40 nights of the rain coming and the storm saturating the earth uh, because we, we, we see that rain was not something that was common. So this is why they thought Noah had lost his mind because he was telling them, prophesying, if you will, preaching that it's going to rain. And so the rain came and saturated the earth and just prepared the earth for the flood to be able to uh, uh, sustain the flood, if you will. So this is why the storm had to last. And so... Chaos and turmoil are the earth's natural condition, okay? And so that's how we see the parallels that are there uh, for today. Right now, the world, the earth, is in a state of chaos, and it's not going to go back. Okay, it's not going to revert back. The order is not going to 
come to the earth. This is why I believe the scripture says the earth will cry out, come quickly, come, rescue me, rescue this earth, because this earth, amen, we are in chaos. So uh, that parallel, there was a storm gathering in the days of Noah, right, that was going to bring the destruction that God was going to have to uh, destroy mankind in order to uh, before and destroy the chaos before he could allow man to continue to flourish. And so I would say that there is a gathering storm today. There's a storm brewing in the earth and we have got to be in the ark of safety. How many knows that Jesus is that ark of safety? Amen. And you've got to pull your children in that ark. You've got to do all that you can. And the enemy will want you to come out of that ark. The enemy will want you to uh, to just step aside. And as we said, if you relax and become comfortable, chaos is going to begin to ensue in your life. This is why we've got to be watchmen on the wall. This is why we've got to pay attention to what's happening around us. This is why we can't wink at everything, amen, and just act like that we don't have to do anything because it's destined to happen. But when, when we put in uh, our prayer, our faith, and the power and the favor that God has given us, it can cause the chaos to be driven back. If nothing else in your life, if nothing else in the church, in the body of Christ, can I get an amen? Hallelujah. Uh, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna get preaching, praise God. But uh, again, so that's kind of where was the highlights of, uh, of last week, the study, kind of setting it up and seeing that uh, this is God's default position and that chaos uh, and disorder had uh, come back to the earth, and so God needed to uh, do that. But uh, understand that God brings order out of chaos. He specializes in that. Amen? So that's a blessing, right? Because when your life is out of order and it's chaos, we know that God can take that. And that's why the scripture says he'll take all things, work them together for the good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. He don't do that for everybody. I know that's a notion that's a, you know God's God's a God of love today, and this culture says that he'll work, he don't work things for the good to everybody. Only those that love him and are the called according to the purpose that he has ordained for those who serve him. Can can, can you understand that? Amen. So it ain't gonna happen for Joe Schmo over here if he's not serving the Lord. If his purpose is not to trust in God. So uh, so I just want to make that clear. You can't just do anything you want to and expect God to get you out. Right. Okay? It don't happen like that. That's not how it works. <laughs> He's got a remedy for that, and it's called judgment. <laughs> yeah. Okay? And so when, there comes a time when that falls, and this is where, where we're at. So uh, now as we move in, amen, to continue uh, uh, to talk about uh, uh, the earth and to talk about uh, moving us into uh, where uh, we are because Jesus said as it was in the days of Noah so shall it be in the coming of the son of man they were married giving in marriage eating and drinking they were living life as if there was nothing to be concerned about they were doing their own thing amen can I get a witness of what we see today right yeah. we're seeing that in a greater uh, capacity today but um, so around the time of America's Founding, Amen. Uh, again, we're gonna we're gonna keep moving into uh, the Word of God and how that 
where God is bringing all of this together. But uh, at the time of, of the War of Independence, or what a lot of you might know as the Revolutionary War, which is a more common name for it, there was a French philosopher by the name of Voltaire. He predicted around the time of the Revolutionary War, he predicted that within 100 years that the Bible would be extinct and that it would be out of print, it would be extinct, and it would be totally forgotten. Okay, so I have two questions for you based on that, uh, that historical fact. Does anybody in here have a collection of Voltaire's works in your house? Anybody? Does anybody have a collection of Voltaire's works in your house? I just said Voltaire is the French philosopher. That said, the Bible would be extinct. You're not paying attention to me now, okay? You're going to answer me. <laughs> you got to stay with me. Hallelujah. But you just told me you missed it. the first time. Amen. So he was a French philosopher who said that the Bible would be extinct. Within 100 years, it would be out of print, and then it would be totally forgotten. So on that notion, how many has got a collection of that man's uh, uh, work in your house? I don't see any hands. How many has a Bible in your house? Okay, you understand? But here's the thing. After Voltaire died, uh, they, his house was purchased by the Geneva Bible Society, and they set up a printing press right there in his house, and they have distributed hundreds of thousands of Bibles all around the world. They were one of the first printers or publishers to print uh, the, the Bible and to send it around the world. So you may anywhere go anywhere and see an older Bible and see that it was published by the Geneva Bible Society. Amen. So uh, and there's more people in America have a, a Bible in their house than any other book. Than any other book in the world, there's more people in the United States that have a Bible uh, in their house than any other book. So, whether you're a Jew or you're a Christian, you need to know the Bible. Okay? So it doesn't matter, uh, and I didn't name all the other religions because they don't matter. We're, we're talking about the Bible tonight, okay? That may sound ugly, but it's real. It's true, okay? So whether you're Jew or Christian, we need to know the Bible. It's the only book that since it was printed in 1452 that has never been out of print. The only book. Now, now I'm going right back to, again, what Voltaire said, that within 100 years from the Revolutionary War, that people would totally forget about the Bible. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. So the number of readers of the Bible, the number of editions that are published, that have been published in the Bible, make it the best-selling book of all time. Mm -hmm. So it's the number one bestseller of all time. Different editions have been published, but with all the readers and all those editions. Amen. Because the entire moral code is uh, of Western civilization is literally uh, in the Bible. So the entire moral code of what we know of the Western civilization is in that book that had more people in America have it in their house than any other book. Take that, Oprah. Right. I don't mean that ugly, but I'm just telling you. Because that kind of thing is out there, okay, trying to pull people. Uh, I just saw today, I'm, I'm getting off, but I just saw today that there's a, a set of books that's in the Scholastic Book Club in the elementary schools now uh, that's called Conversations with God. 
And it, that sounds really, really great, right? And I, and it's, it's, it's being promoted and endorsed by folks who have book clubs like Oprah and different ones, secular people in the world. Uh, but uh, first of all, ain't nobody can speak for God but himself. But uh, you got to be careful because, you know, I used to buy all kinds of scholastic books. I was an avid reader. I would read a book a night before I went to sleep when I would go to bed. I would get one of those uh, paperback books and I would get go to the bookmobile. Remember when the bookmobile would come and you'd have the book fair? I was one of those people that come out with books. I bought books and I begged mom, please let me, let me give me money, fill out the form right, buy the books. And so this is the kind of thing. But here's the thing. You need to pay attention because... Uh, the, the conversations of what's being spoken for God, uh, there's things in that as questions as uh, uh, where, where the child is saying, I'm a lesbian, how do you feel about that? And God is responding to that, saying, it's okay. You can, you, I do not care how you live, go out and explore who you are. And so those kind of things are in there. And so uh, out of all the other books, amen, uh, uh, that are there, the Bible is still in more people's homes in America than any other book. So the entire moral code is, uh, of our civilization is in the Bible. And so we know uh, that the Bible itself has inspired scientists and great people that have just dug into the universe and they have revealed the secrets of science. I already said it a minute ago. Science was created by God. Scientists discovered what God has put into the system of the universe. Well, not everything that's called science is of God, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Right? So uh, all of these scientific discoveries, you know, God set them in there. Read what you sow. That's a universal. That doesn't, that doesn't have anything to do with being a Christian. You reap what you sow. Amen. That's a universal law that applies to every person, amen, that is alive, praise God. And so the Bible itself has inspired scientists to dig and find out uh, secrets. It's inspired the founder's vision uh, uh, for the United States of America. Scripture is what inspired them to solve uh, the trouble or the problem with the distrust of the government uh, the governmental power, the distrust of that governmental power, they, they divided the government into three branches. Do you know where they got that from? From Isaiah 33 and 2 that says the Lord is our judge, he is our lawgiver, and he is our king, and he will save us. So the ultimate source, here's what they believe, that the ultimate source of redemption is God, not the government. But we do need an organized structure by which a country can function. So they set up the judicial branch which the Lord is our judge. They set up the legislative branch. The Lord is our lawgiver. And they set up the executive branch. He is our king. So this country's very foundation is uh, in this number one best-selling book that we call the Bible. Okay? So no matter what the devil has done to pervert it, no matter what the devil does from here on out, it will not change the fact that the Bible still stands over any other, come on, any other word or anything written, amen, in the earth. And 
that book says that when everything else is gone and when everything else is on fire, that word is still going to stand. Not the pages and the, the binding, the letter binding, but the, amen, the power and the very truth that that word is, is going to remain. Amen. This is why we got to put it in here. Amen. So that we can live it out loud. Are you with me? Amen. So I have a question for you. Uh, is this book that's influenced Western civilization more than any other book? Is it more like the works uh, of William Shakespeare or is it more like the instruction manual for a nuclear power plant? Okay, so if it's like Shakespeare, all right, then it's nothing more than a collective uh, work of inspired poetry and every line of it is not important. Okay, every line of it's not important if it's just an inspired book of, of poetry or story. So if it's not like Shakespeare and it's more like the instruction manual for a nuclear power plant, then every line is important. Absolutely. Everything that is written in it is important. Okay, so if you're the one that's running the plant, you might be in trouble if you don't know, let's say, that uh, in section or instruction uh, 35D says that the supervisor must log out before going off shift. And that is as equally as important as the rule that's in uh, 180A that might say that you should never let the pressure of the central tank exceed safety limits. So both of those instructions, both of those rules that is written in that instruction manual are equally important. So if you don't know or understand that, that all of those things are equally important, then guess what? You can cause a major problem, amen, and uh, sometimes it might be an unforgettable problem. It might be something that uh, uh, is unforgettable or can cause damage. So if the Bible is more like that manual, then we can't pick and choose the parts we like or don't like. Get my point? You can't say, well, this doesn't apply to me today. This doesn't, this doesn't apply to anywhere in my life, so I'm going to take it and go uh, and leave it out. But I like this part, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold on to this part. You can't do that if you believe that it is truly like the instruction manual of that nuclear power plant that whether the supervisor doesn't log off or not or they don't check the, the pressure, the safety pressure in that central tank, both of those can cause chaos. So you need to know both of those instructions in order for that plant to run smoothly. Okay, so uh, uh, most people like certain scriptures that make them feel good and that seem relevant, right? We're seeing a lot of that today. That they, they like the stuff that makes them feel good. They like the blessings. And they like the things that seem relevant, but they don't like anything that might cause them to have to change. Just like the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 16, it talks a lot about justice and how, 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 how justice is favorable. We all like that, right? We all want to be, we all want to be treated right. Uh, and just like in, in Micah chapter uh, 6, it says that 
We must do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. And, uh, you know, everybody likes to feel good, right? Those are feel-good scriptures. Those are scriptures that are great. But what about the fourth commandment? Those are those feel good, but what about the fourth commandment that says, honor the Sabbath, keep it holy? Is that truly relevant? Is that really relevant? How can we do that in our busy 24-7 life? How can we honor the Sabbath and keep it holy? And uh, so you have to understand that it's there and it's in there. We're not going to talk about how we can honor the Sabbath, but I'm trying to make a point there that we just can't throw away or ignore the ones that might cause us to have to do some work, that might cause us to have to inject something or to put some kind of energy or to do something so that chaos does not ensue in our spiritual life. Okay, it's easy to live any way you want to, show up on Sunday morning, say amen, put money in the offering, walk out, and continue to do anything that makes you feel good, that feels right to you, and have no accountability or no consequences. But that's not what that instruction manual teaches us. That any man that follows that path, it might be good for a while, but the end of that path is destruction. It's coming. So somebody needs to help others understand. Are you with me tonight? Everybody's still there. The Bible also says that Methuselah lived 187 years and he begat Lamech. Is that important? Some of you might say, not really. But I would say that it is. It's as every bit as critical as thou shalt not murder. The fact that, uh, that Methuselah lived 187 years and he begat Lamech is just as critical and crucial as thou shalt not murder. Okay? Are you with me? Just hang with me. So here's something you've got to clearly decide. That if it's nothing more, if the Bible is nothing more than a piece of literature and not the word of God, then every sentence in the Bible is not relevant. And if you believe that, then we have far better things to do than to study this book. Because if every sentence in this book is not relevant, then we have better things to do, right? So, so that means we pick and choose what we study if that's what we feel. And sadly enough, there's a lot of people sitting in churches in America today that see the Bible from that point of view. And that's not what we're here to talk about. But I'll argue with you that this is not a book of literature with just interesting stories that uh, are, are cool to read. But the Old Testament alone, in fact, has 304,805 Hebrew letters describing the link between morality and successful living. Just the Old Testament alone. 304,805 Hebrew letters that link or connect morality and successful living. So if you live a moral life, you will have a successful life, right? Right. That, that used to be the consensus. <laughs> that used to be a no-brainer, right? There was, there was a time and a generation that no matter where you went in America, 
the understanding of that was pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. We're not there anymore. Mm -mm. See, the Bible is our legacy. If you are a child of God, it is your legacy. Jesus said that, the Bible says that you are an heir and a joint heir with who? Jesus Christ, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. So if we are an heir and a joint heir, then every word from Genesis to Revelation, every sentence that is in that book is your legacy. That's your heritage. And that's why the Bible says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. This is your heritage. That every tongue that rises up in opposition against you shall be brought down. Amen. That's our legacy. He's never failed to reckon for his people. Amen. So don't worry about people and what they say. Because the Bible says that if you serve him and you do the right thing, he will bring them down. Come on, are you with me? Hallelujah. So it's our legacy and it's also our guide for life. We said it last week, we'll say it again. I say it often. It is God's blueprint for humanity and it's nothing less than a detailed framework for all of reality. All reality. I don't care where it is, what it is. It is the detailed framework for all reality. It is the blueprint for humanity. It is God's instruction book for a healthy, whole, peaceful, happy life. Amen. And you can enjoy life and still be godly. Yeah, amen. You can enjoy life and still be spiritual. You can enjoy life and still be on your way to heaven. Yeah. Amen? It doesn't have to be that. So, do you agree? I asked you a question. Do you agree that this is so? Okay, if you don't, then we, 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 gotta, we, we won't need to talk. <laughs> but not right now. So, here's how... I see it. We all have one of three choices about the Bible. You can tell yourself that it's not relevant to modern life, and the only reason it played such a large role in many people's lives throughout the ages is because they didn't know as much about life and truth as we do now. Okay? So, you, you, you can tell yourself that it's not relevant and that uh, to, to our modern life and our culture, how many times have, have you heard that? And that the only reason that it was so important to uh, so many other people all down through the ages is because they just didn't know as much about life and the truth as we do now. See, that, that understanding that we've been enlightened. So, if that's you, I hope nobody in here is like that, and I don't believe there is, but should that be you, then you can go ahead and skip this Bible study because uh, we're wasting valuable minutes in life and doing that is, is a terrible thing and I don't want to contribute to any of your loss. Okay, because if you think that, then you just need to skip this Bible study because that, that, that it's, it's not going to bring you any kind of, of change if you feel like that uh, it, all of it is not relevant. Because it's really arrogant to consider uh, ourselves smarter 
than all of the sages and the scholars that have poured so much time and energy and love in from the past generations into the pages of the Bible, lovingly going over scriptures and studying them and bringing us uh, truths and understanding. And so it's pretty arrogant for us to feel like that we're smarter than people that have put hours and hours and hours and, and years of time into studying scriptures. So, the second choice that you will invest some time and energy analyzing the wisdom and knowledge you get from studying this book, which is the Bible we're talking about. And you, you might say that you're open to uh, the disturbing possibilities that it really is the general theory for the totality of all existence that is given to humanity by God. And you would say, why, why would you say something like disturbing possibility? The reason I would say that is because we as humans are only comfortable when we're surrounded by things that we totally understand. Right? It makes us uncomfortable when we don't understand things. It makes us on edge when we don't have the comprehension. And we cannot totally understand God no more than a three-year-old can understand his parents. Okay? A three-year-old thinks they understand their parents, but they don't. Okay? And we cannot totally understand God. So when you arrive at the conclusion that the Bible is literally just a glimpse into God's mind, then that can be alarming to some people. Because some people don't want that accountability. So that, that means you're, you, you have to be open to whatever, whatever comes to your mind, whatever you realize. Or the third thing, that third choice about the Bible is that you have already put in enough time and you've put in enough work to know beyond a reasonable doubt that no humans or any group of humans put together this guide to the universe. That no man or no group of, of people put together this guide that we call the Bible to the universe. I don't know about you, but I choose number three. Absolutely. I choose number three, that the Bible is God's blueprint for all of reality. There is nothing that you will not encounter that you will not find some kind of connection in the scriptures. Okay, there's, there's, there's not anything that you, well, I, I can remember thinking at, at one point in my life that, you know, well, the Bible doesn't talk specifically about this. Uh, so, you know, how does, how does Jesus know what I'm going through? And I came across a scripture that just jackslapped me right in the face. Because I'm like, there it is. That's it. So God does see. And if God sees that he has a remedy, he has something to give you uh, courage and to give you strength. And so uh, that's why we have to realize that it's not surprising that the Bible uh, reveals vital information for successful living in this world we're in. Now, I'm not even talking about being saved yet. I'm talking about just being successful as a human being. Because God desires that. But it's not possible 
to complete all that he has for you without salvation in Jesus Christ. Okay? So, you know, just keep that in mind. Don't think that I'm going astray or anything like that. So, uh, the information that uh, this information is not easily available in any other way. You're not going to get this kind of information, this kind of knowledge from any other source other than the Bible. Because the Bible supplies critical information that to us, as we said last week, that chaos is an invisible, destructible force that jeopardizes living a successful life. It is invisible, but it is destructible. You can't see it, but it happens. It happens, and it will jeopardize living a successful life. So from the point that God placed man in the Garden of Eden, remember it wasn't a jungle, but it was a beautiful garden. That From the point that God placed man in the Garden of Eden, it was a peaceful it was an orderly condition, right? It was all the way that it needed to be. Everything was in order. It was a peaceful place. It was a place of harmony and unity and, 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 and provision. It was all there. But we can see from that point that God placed man in that, that garden that was in order, that was a beautiful and everything was set into place, we can see how that after 10 generations, that they naturally just allowed chaos to take over and to utterly destroy the earth. So after 10 generations, so in Noah's generation, the chaos uh, was so, so uh, viable and it was so uh, uh, strong that it overran human interactions and the physical world that God had to step in now and God had to destroy almost all of creation before he was able to start human progression all over again. How many's ever said, you know what? We got to start all over again. How many's ever got to that place in your life where you, your choices and your decisions made a complete, utter mess out of your life? Chaos everywhere you looked. And you literally had to start all over again. That's what God had to do in the days of Noah. Because the chaos, after ten generations, it only took ten generations to bring the earth into utter chaos. And to, to be able for God to say, you know what, this is enough. So he had to destroy almost all the creation. So... My point being is that the entire section of Genesis that we usually skip over, I mean, knows what section I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. All the begats. So we usually are like, when the chapter says, and Methuselah begat Lamech. <laughs> skip it. We, use, we do that, right? And we use excuses. Well, I can't pronounce those names. Did God ask you to know how to pronounce those names? <laughs> he may require you to know what those names mean, but he didn't ask you. You don't have to stand before God and pronounce them correctly. It's not a requirement to be a Christian. 
Are you with me? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to prove a point here. But here's what you've got to understand. When we see that begats in Genesis and we skip over it, those are the ten generations between Adam and Noah that destroyed the earth. So when you skip over them, you're saying, well, that's irrelevant. But it's not. It's not irrelevant. Remember what we said earlier. Every sentence in the instruction manual is critical. You don't have the right to skip over and say any line or sentence is not important. We have not been given permission to do that. You say, that's pretty harsh. But see, here's what you've got to understand. And this is what we're going to we're going to start getting to that time. Here's what you've got to understand. That those big gaps that we skip over, those ten generations between Adam and Noah, they reveal the natural course of deterioration through all of those generations. They tell us what happened. They tell us how it happened. They reveal to us why God said, that's enough. Okay? God, listen, we all know Cain killed Abel, right? Adam and Eve sinned. They had Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel. Okay? God could have gone straight from Cain and Abel to the story of Noah using one simple sentence. Generations passed, and the people were acting badly, and Noah was born and found favor in God's eyes. That's how most of us tell the story. Right? Because that's the elementary, that's the Sunday school, kindergarten, third grade that we talked about on, on last Thursday. That's how we see the story of Noah and the ark. And the great blood, we've all seen it on an elementary level. So God could have simply said, you know, from, from, from Cain, the story of Cain and Abel up to Noah, he could have said, well, this is what happened. All these generations passed. Everybody was acting crazy and a fool. Then there was a man named Noah who was born who found favor in my eyes. End of story and on to the next one. But he didn't. Because there's vital information there that God is wanting to reveal to the reader. God's wanting to show the reader something. Uh, who, who out of us, we, we, those of us here, would, would, would like not only ourselves, but how about our children and our children's children and their children's children to live on in a world of peace and prosperity that only comes in a world with predictability. Wouldn't you like to tell your grand... How many of you have said, I've seen it hundreds of times, comments on Facebook, I fear for my grandchildren. I'm afraid for my grandchildren for what they're, for what they're experiencing. They're trying now to, to think of ways to shelter their grandkids from the chaos that is in the world. Whenever, whenever God said, if we do what we're supposed to, we can predict how it's going to turn out. There's predictability in the order. Are you with me? So, I would like to live in a world for the folks to go on, but, but again, that's not going to happen. So, then we need to look at the verses closely now so that we can recognize the enemies of order and how to combat them. So, 
If we're going to recognize why today is like the days of Noah, we have to look at every part between Abel and Noah to see why there was chaos and disorder and learn how to keep that from happening. So then, just then, we might stand a chance of defeating the horrible things of chaos. So we just may be able to overcome the chaos. Okay? So there's vital information that's listed in the Bible. Some of you, you didn't say amen, but you shook your head and you agreed that the Bible was more like the instruction manual of a nuclear power plant. And at that moment, you're probably thinking, this is stupid. Why is he saying this? It doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. Why are we talking about this? I thought we couldn't talk about no. Because I wanted to, to get you to agree, and you did, that everything about an instruction manual in a power plant is essential and vital. So if the Bible is like that, then every sentence in the Bible is important. And so now that we've decided the general consensus that every sentence in the Bible is important, then we must realize that all of the begats in the ten generations between Cain and Abel and Noah are vital to our understanding. They're important. Okay? This is why that you, you have to say it. So, when you look at all the begats, how many have ever read, really read through all that? I have, after I got convicted. I used to say but, but it's important. You see, there was very few of you that have done that. Okay, and I get it. I understand it. But here's what you got to understand. That there's vital information listed in the Bible with the name of one important person from each generation. So when you look at the begats, and we're talking specifically about the ten generations, when you look at those begats, there's one important person the name of one important person that's mentioned, listed from each generation, then along with a continual theme in that generation, such as we see in Genesis 5.13. Now you can pull that out. Please tell me it's still there. And Canaan lived <coughs> after the begat Mahalalil, 840 years and begat sons and daughters. Now, why is Mahalalil's name mentioned when the others are just listed as a group of people? So, Canaan lived after he begat Mahalalil 840 years. So, he lived to be 840 after he begat Mahalalil. But during that time, he begat sons and daughters. Why does God give us the name of Mahalalil, but then put all the other sons and daughters into a group. Is there something about Mahalalil? Because everything that is there is important. Are you with me? Because that name that's given there is not just telling us about an individual. Okay? But it's each name given has a meaning that reflects the trends that were going on in that generation. So this is why Mahalalil's name is mentioned here because Mahalalil's name tells us the trend that was happening in that generation. So it explains to us now, it starts to give us a little bit of understanding about the chaos that began to ensue or began to show up 
in those ten generations. So, when, when you look at a chain of them, then you get a picture of trends, not only in the early history, but ones that appear over and over again right up to our present time. That's why the Bible can unequivocally say there is nothing new under the sun. All of these new things and newfangled things that we are seeing, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. We might have ways to accomplish these things, but these things all happened previously. Okay? We just have greater measures and ways to do them. So when you look at a chain of those names, then you start to get a picture. It tells a picture of the trends that uh, was not only in the early history, but again, they appear over and over again right up to our present time. So you see those trends. That's why fads come back again. And again, that's why we're seeing, what is it now, 70s and, uh, you know, the bell bottoms and stuff. Nuh-uh. <laughs> I, I, put, I, I tried. I put a pair of, of, of not even bell bottoms, but just, and I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. It's like when I walk that it goes three miles in front of me and three miles ahead of me. I just can't do it. I'm not saying that I won't ever, but as for me now, I can't do it. I'm like, I want to see my shoes, okay? There was a time when I did wear that. But that's that's what these things these things keep coming back. So for example, one of the descendants of Adam's son Seth is Canaan. That's not Canaan, that's Canaan. That's different than, than Canaan. So one of his, uh, one of Adam's sons, his son Seth, one of his descendants was Canaan. Canaan was a person who represented a generation of great material acquisition. So Canaan represents a generation of great material acquisition. In the Hebrew, that's the literal meaning of Canaan's name is acquisition. Okay, so he represents a generation that got a lot of things, that acquired a lot of material things. The focus was on that. His son was Mahalalil. Mahalalil's name means spiritual or the praise of God or some high force. The next generation from Mahalalil was Jared, which means decline. So are you seeing a picture? Are you seeing a pattern? Okay. Canaan, who was Mahalalil's dad, meant acquisition. So he represented, a, that generation represented a great material acquisition. Mahalalil's name means spiritual or the praise of something or some high force. And then Mahalalil's son, uh, Yared, as it's pronounced in the Hebrew, but Jared, as we see, means decline. So we're not, we're not being read to here like from the family Bible. Okay, here's what you got to understand. It's not like we're being read from the family Bible and we're finding out our ancestors' name. It's not working like that. The names listed here may not even been what their friends would have called them. So they may not have even called Mahalalil, Mahalalil, okay? Because these names are not all listed here to give us for ancestry purpose. Are you understanding that? So uh, it's not like, you know, you look at the family Bible, if some of you are like, what? You know, 
my generation, we had a family, big family Bible that sat on the coffee table or, or the drum table, and inside of it was a family tree and deaths and births. Anybody else from that generation know what I'm talking about? One of those big family Bibles. So you could go in there and could find out your, your ancestors' names and all of that. So it, it kind of would be like today, reading a book today where the characters may be uh, the baby boomers or Gen X or Gen Z or the millennials or the greatest generation. So when you see uh, some of the names like Mahalalil, it wouldn't be, hey, Mahalalil, how you doing? Okay. But it would be, it, it would be said that this was Gen Z. And so when you say Gen Z, you think what? Something about the generation. You instantly know about that generation. When you say baby boomer, are you with me? So, Canaan and Jared stand for generations and trends and not individual human beings, even though they were human beings. Are you with me? So they stand for generations and trends. So we don't need them as much for the information about the past, but more about the present. So we don't need so much that information about the past, but more about the present. Let's, let's do a little bit of history. I like history if you didn't know that by now. After all these years, I, I like history. One of, one of my favorite subjects in school, outside of English. <laughs> English was probably my favorite, in case you didn't know that. <laughs> I, yeah, I know what you're thinking. You have to repent if you don't stop. Cast out every thought and every imagination. Okay? So, let's look at three trends in, you know what we would even say, recent American history. We had the Depression era, right? During the Depression era, people were just happy to have food on the table. Right. And I, I have family that have, that have passed on and gone that were in the Depression era. But the Depression era, they were just happy to have food on the table. The Depression era ended approximately with, uh, with World War II. So it, it, it approximately ended there. But following World War II, then we saw a period of great productivity and great prosperity, right? People worked hard, and for the first time, Americans could own their own homes. Home ownership became a possible dream for middle-class people. So you had the Depression era, where people were just happy to have food on the table. Then after that ended following World War II, you had a, 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 there was a, a period of great productivity and prosperity where people worked hard and then for the first time it could be an actual middle class dream to own your own home. And middle class people even found themselves living uh, envious lives uh, of other people, right? With a home, two cars, and a TV. Right? A lot of people envied that. They were envious of that. Okay, those kids from that, uh, that generation, that era, grew up with a level of affluence and comfort that the world had never seen before. So the, the, the kids from, from that generation, from that uh, era, grew up uh, with, with a level of influence, a level of, uh, of what some would say was wealth and comfort that the, really the world had never seen before. Then those kids became of age 
around the 60s and 70s. But they had a different type of hunger. Those kids, when they became of age, they even began to have contempt for the way their parents lived. They began to have contempt for their parents' lifestyles. They began to turn to it's called pot then, marijuana. They began to turn to that and other drugs to do what? In an attempt to get high. In an attempt to get high. Now, when you compare, how many, how many knows the song Stairway to Heaven? You don't, you're young. <laughs> but if you compare the drug language and even songs like Stairway to Heaven, to the spiritual language of heaven and God on high. Are you seeing a connection there? Remember what Mahalalil's name meant? It meant praise to a higher force. Praise to something that was higher. It meant spiritual. Okay? So just like Mahalalil, who was obviously seeking something higher after his father had acquired all of these material things in his generation that he grew up with, right? Mahalalil grew up with, with Canaan, who was a, a, a man of who had acquired a lot of material. So he grew up with that, but then he began to seek for something more spiritual. His generation then began to look for a high, and that's what the hippies were doing in the 60s and 70s. They didn't want anything to do. They rebelled against that lifestyle of their parents, of that middle class, right? They began, so they began to turn to drugs and they began to turn to those things. And so, uh, but because those hippies, and I'm going to say just that, that's just what it is. They were hippies. And because they saw after it in all the wrong places, then instead of getting higher, they got high to get higher, but instead of getting higher, they ended up like Mahalalil's son, Jared, who began to decline as a generation that was filled with moral confusion. So now, the chaos and the confusion is now entering into the generations, and you'll begin to, that's when you can look back and begin to, to see that trend. Think about it. People that that fall prey to alcoholism, people that uh, fall, fall into uh, the addiction of alcohol, they're seeking some kind of spiritual medicine for their deep pain. Yeah. They're seeking some kind of spiritual medicine. It's why the monks of old called, uh, called alcohol the Latin word spiritus. It's why we, we, have, we see it called spirits. That ought to be enough to make it turn it away. Why would you want a little bit? Why would you even want to sit? Why would you even want to casually enjoy anything that's referred to as a spirit? Okay? Today we call, why do we call it spirits today? Because alcohol is a replacement for spiritual unity within a man's soul. It's a replacement. Okay? This is why we call it spirits. So, so after the high... We all know this. After the high, whether it's alcohol or whether it's drugs, 
They do what? They sink into an inevitable decline that follows an attempt to get high through the wrong methods. So what is it? It's an automatic decline. When you seek a spiritual high outside of God, then the next phase, the next generation, the next trend is going to be like Jared, whose name meant decline. There's going to be a decline. Okay, That's the pattern. And, and the pattern we saw in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, it wasn't anything new. That wasn't a new pattern because when you look during World War I, when you read history and you look, you can see it in Britain, you can see it in Europe, and then we see it in other points in history. So it's not anything new, okay? It's just, it's just the trends. And so as we're, uh, and we're going to move, not tonight, but we're going to move into these two gaps, and we're going to move into the understanding and seeing what these things mean and understand what was getting the world in chaos. And so now you see that Canaan, whose name meant material acquisition, whose name meant acquiring things, uh, getting things. He had Mahalalil, whose name meant spiritual, seeking after some kind of spiritual high, okay? Then he had Jared, whose name meant decline. So when you walk and you live just like, again, it just, it happened again. We see it in the 60s and the 70s. It is that fundamental uh, instinct of a pattern, okay? And it goes all back to what we talked about last week, about the patterns and how everything happens. You cannot get chaos will not revert back into the right pattern without something or somebody injecting something into it. It's just not going to do it on its own. Okay, so when you see that fundamental instinct of this pattern that is, we see especially in Genesis with Canaan, with his material acquisition, then followed by Mahalalil seeking a spiritual high, spirituality in the wrong places, which then leads to Jared's decline. We can see it. Now, you can look, and if you pay attention, you can see the very same thing continuing in greater measure now. So, here's the thing. None of that <coughs> implies that God takes away our ability to make the choice between good and bad. Just because those trends and those things happen doesn't mean that God robs us of our ability to make the, the right choices. Nothing that you want to do or nothing that you prevent yourself from doing was preordained. God gives all of us free will. He gives all of us free will. However, that free will is not diminished at all by these large patterns of what this great number of people will do over these large periods of time. See, that's predictability. When, 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 when you choose to do what God has laid out in the boundaries of his word, you can predict the next generation. But when one generation decides to go outside of God's boundaries and the code and the system and all that he put in his word. 
when one generation decides to go out of it, you can rest assured that the next generation is going to go even further. And it's not just going to go back. So we can sing, sweat, fast, pray all we want. Let's go back to the old days. It's not going to happen. Because we've already, the generations that have came ahead have already allowed and a man reverted back to the chaos by disobeying and walking outside of the boundaries. That's why you got to tell your children. And if they don't listen, there is nothing wrong with rightfully disciplining a child. I'm not talking about bloody in their lip. I'm not talking about all that. But I'm talking about listen. Listen. And I don't care about all the doctors and all the doctors and all of them. But there are ways the Bible teaches to discipline your children. If you train that child, this is why, look, 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 look. I don't want to get off this thing. But, but listen, we, we, can, we can scoff the Jews and say, well, they don't even believe in Jesus. But let me tell you something. They have taken the value of the truth of the Word of God, what we call the Old Testament. And they, they, many of them, they have kept it. That's why we have what we have today. They have kept it. And they were, it was written, train up your child in the way that it should go, and he will not depart from it. They were trained, they were taught when your child is born, begin that moment of instilling the word of God into them. Make them sit. They sit in their houses and they listen to the Father teach repeatedly the Torah until they could learn it and recite it. They could rise up and do it themselves. And in case you forget, put it on your forehead. Put it on your forehead. Are you with me? Okay? This is how. Okay? This is why they could predict, for the most part, now everybody's different, but they can predict this, why they sustain and they have an age of accountability because when, when, when you follow that pattern, by the time a boy is about the age of 12 or 13, he is at the point of his understanding that he can begin to act like a man. And when a young lady is at the age of 12 or 13, she can now begin to conduct herself as a young woman. So they have their bat mitzvah and their bar mitzvah. They're coming out, okay? Are you with me? And you might say, well, that's silly, but let me tell you what. You say that's silly until your 30-year-old 30 30 still comes home acting like they're 12. Right. And depending on you to provide for them, take care of them, feed them. Take, oh, come on, somebody. Come on. You can blame the generations on that. It's because we went outside of that. I didn't mean to get off on all that. But you have to understand that, that free will is not diminished just because there's a big pattern of that most a lot of a lot of people over all these periods of time are doing all of these same things. Uh, you, you cannot diminish free will. You can't say, "Well, free will," uh, then then it's just going to happen. And let me give an example. I'm about to finish for tonight. But but these political pollsters when they, when when they take polls 
or advertising consultants. They have no way of knowing if we're going to vote for any political party. They have no way of knowing. They have no way of knowing that if we see a Lexus commercial that we're going to go out and buy a luxury car. They have no way of knowing that, right? No way of knowing that at all. But they do know after they poll a lot of people, that there's going to be one party that's going to get a certain number of votes. And they do know how many cars will be sold during an ad campaign because it's predictable. Because it's how the system works. Even though people have free will. How, how, how come traffic experts can know that there's going to be a certain number of casualties the next holiday weekend they can know that, right? But it doesn't mean one's going to happen on your street. doesn't mean that one has, one has to happen right where you're living, but it doesn't change the fact. Are you with me? So you ultimately make the choice as to who you're going to vote for or to what kind of car you're going to buy. So just because a lot of people are being influenced by that doesn't mean that you have to follow that influence. Okay. The big patterns are put in place, but each of us plays a very minute part in the trend. So, me by myself, these big patterns are now put in place. By myself, my part in that is very minuscule in that whole picture of things, right? But here's the thing. Each of us had the power to resist it. And if all of us, if enough of us resist the chaotic trend, what's going to happen? It's not going to have the effect that it could have. So this is why we have to resist the devil and not have lunch with him, not have breakfast with him, not have a snack with him, not let him talk to you, not let him keep on telling you these things, but resist the devil Resist the chaos. Do what we have to do to drive back the gates of hell so that the chaos does not ensue in our life. Doesn't matter that everybody else is going to hell in a handbasket. You and I don't have to. You and I do not have to. Just because a lot of other churches might preach or might preach fuzzy, feel-good uh, uh, speeches and motivational speeches doesn't mean that Judah Tabernacle has to go with the flow. We can resist the trend. And if enough of us do that, we're going to cause a disruption in the chaos. This is why the enemy wants you to sit down on your lazy behind and say, well, Jesus is coming anyway and the world's going to fall apart, so there's no use for me to try to do anything because it's not going to make a difference. Do you understand now what I'm trying to tell you? It matters much what you do in the scale of this big pattern. And what's happening, that's why it matters next Tuesday whether or not you vote. It matters. I don't, it matters. Okay, I don't, don't, I don't want to get off there, I'm trying to finish. So, each of us have the power to resist that trend. And if enough of us do that, then the next stage can be postponed or even switched to a completely different track entirely. We can, we can, we, just because the, the, the youth of this generation 
are, 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 are following after the trends and the government and the school system is telling them that it's okay if you feel like that you're a, a donkey or if you feel like that you're supposed to be a cat. If today you want to be a, a boy, but tomorrow you want to be a girl, it's okay that if you feel like that. Doesn't mean that we have to let the youth in this house follow after that trend. Doesn't mean that we have to let the youth of this house be affected by that trend. It doesn't matter how many's doing it. If enough of them resist the trend, then they're going to cause a disruption and there might just be a postponement. Come on, somebody. Yep. Of what would happen had they not resisted the trend. Are you with me? So it makes a difference. This is why the devil wants to take your joy. He wants to take your peace. He wants to take your hope. He wants to take your faith. He wants to make you grouchy. He wants to make you act ugly. He wants to make us be everything that we're not supposed to be because he knows when we follow the word of God that it pushes back the chaos and it prevents hell from having the last word. This is why you cannot give up. This is why you cannot relent. This is why you've got to grab a hold. If you've got to get a hold of four or five people, lay hands on me, pray for me, whatever it is. If something needs out of me, get it out. Because as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. We're not going to follow after the pattern of the trend. Amen. It might be like the days of Noah, and that's how it's supposed to be. But I don't have to be like Muhammad Leo. I want to be like like Noah. Come on, somebody. Do you understand? And I want to take my family on the ark with me. Okay? So there were there were parents in the 50s and 60s that had they understood, if they would have understood the meanings of these verses and these begats, then they would come to know that they need to be more careful about giving their kids material goods without giving them the matching authenticity of the spiritual reality, amen, that they should have given them. If they would have known that. So this is why we're going to talk about the begats. So get over yourself. Seriously, I'm serious. Okay? They're there for a reason. If every sentence is relevant, then all of these are relevant. So we can't just look at the high points of Genesis and skip from the story of Cain and Abel and go to Noah. We cannot just do that. And there's some, there's some things that we're going to talk about. And, you, and you're saying, you keep saying that. Hang in there. Hang with them. We're going to talk about them. We're going to get there. So I'm going to leave you with this. If we're going to avoid the pitfalls and raise future generations that are going to be elevated and not diminished, then there's vital information in this section of the begats that are going to help us grow this generation and make a difference in the next generation. Okay? Very important. So, you didn't learn anything else tonight. Amen. The Bible is like an instruction manual for a nuclear power plant. And every sentence is important. And it's vital that you know every line and instruction because one will affect the other. Don't do one. It's going to affect the other. Do one, not the other. It's going to affect the one that you do. It's going to make the one that you do 
less powerful. Okay, so when we when we when we take the whole of the word, we understand the context. So that as it was in the days of Noah. So now understand that these names and these begats. I'm trying to I'm trying to move you into an understanding. I could I could load you with a lot of stuff. And, and, and all at once, but I don't want to do that. I want you to understand. You know how I am. Set the foundation, and let you have a, an understanding of the whys and the hows. That way, you won't spend so much time questioning. Okay, but you can see what God's doing. Amen. Praise God. Can we give the Lord a hand clap? Amen. Let's give him a hand clap. Appreciate you tonight. Thank you again for your attention. Amen. For all that. Uh, amen. You're listening. I'm, I'm trying to keep each week. Amen. Condensed. I'm trying to, to not get. I get excited when I, when I start reading and, and I start looking and I get excited. I'm like, oh man, I want to I say that now. I want to bring that out now. But it's important that we see all these other things. So I realize that some of it may seem mundane and some of it may not seem exciting and you may not feel like, man. Uh, but I'm telling you, there's a reason for everything that we're setting up and what we're doing. Amen? Don't forget, uh, Saturday night is the uh, Great for Daughters event, so keep that in mind. Sunday morning, we'll be back here at 10 o'clock, ready for, uh, amen, our family Bible training, worship at 11. Amen? Stand with us tonight. Praise God. Let's pray.